Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Where nerd culture collides with hip-hop. Tell them it one more time. Oh, some hip-hop, hip-hop shit. No. <laughs> Welcome to On Some Hip Hop Shit, presented by Meltdown Comics, a hip hop podcast where nerd culture collides with hip hop. I'm Adam Silverstein from Meltdown Comics, joined by B. Schultz, and we have a very, very special show today. Uh, I'm ridiculously excited. Uh, I can't even express because... I'll just let you give the intro because this to me is was formative in my early hip hop youth. So Brandon, tell me what's up. Well, as a ashy need 12 year old kid in the driveway of our house, my dad pulls into the driveway, me and my brother playing basketball, getting ashier and bloodier. And My dad jumps out of the car and says, I just had an interesting meeting. Have you guys ever heard of a group called the Fat Boys? Do you know who Run DMC is? What? (laughs) That was a question? (laughs) That was the answer. (laughs) What are you talking about? How can you, how you met with Run DMC? You know, and of course, wearing a wry grin the whole time, knowing that we would flip out. I guess I only think similar to what year is this? What year is this? This is the this has got to be 1985. Exactly right. Yeah, it's got to be 1985. Ooh, there's a mystery voice in here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, so, no, no, no. <laughs> I like the mystery. Let the listeners just wait. So and 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 both of our response were, oh, if you. You you have to do this. Whatever it takes, you have to do a movie with the Fat Boys and with Run DMC. And there um, began my introduction to what would eventually become called Crush Group. And with us today, we have the pleasure of having uh, the gentleman of the Crush Group Roundtable. Yeah. So real quick. Is it, are you talking about the directors and the producers? Is that what we're talking about? Yes, yes, yes. You have the you have the men behind the ledge, 
Uh, so to our left, we have writer, producer, extraordinaire, Ralph Farquhar. Hello, glad yeah, to be here. Yep. Yep. And uh, then we also have producer for Crush Groove and director in his own right, movies like Jason Lyric, among many other, uh, Doug McHenry. I'm in the house. Nice, <laughs> nice. And uh, to my right, we have uh, a guy, a familiar face, to me at least, my father, and uh, my dear, dear friend, Michael Schultz. Big ups. Hey, 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 hey. it's good to be here. Good to be here. And I'd like to add to that intro that Brandon made. Um, there was no wry smile on my face. I was, that was a real question. <laughs> and I was shocked at the answer because not only did they say, are you crazy? They recited every lyric of every song. <laughs> um. Uh, and I said, hmm, uh, I had never heard of these groups Wow! until George Jackson, who is no longer with us, uh, approached me and, and showed me an article in the Wall Street Journal saying, let's make a documentary about these guys. Uh, and so when I, when I mentioned their names and my two sons flipped out, I said, okay, got to make this movie because... I'm so far out of it <laughs> in terms of knowing what was going on with the youth culture that in order to be semi-hip, i got to make this movie. And, and I think almost that's ridiculous. I can't even imagine that you didn't know that because you had actually directed one of the most influential films in hip-hop before that, right? Cooley High has been... That was your that was your film. Right. Right. And, My first film. And yeah. that is a, a film that hip hop just drew from. I mean, there's so many references to Cooley High right. right there. Right. That's amazing. So you have this whole new thing coming right at you. And it's like, what? Who are these guys? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine. Well, well, Michael didn't know any of us either. So <laughs> <laughs> it was he didn't associate with our type. <laughs> <laughs> and who who was who was us? Uh, well, uh, me, uh, 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 Doug, and George, of course. And and I got to say, George was like sort of the motivating uh, force behind all this. Uh, he had come to me early on and said, "Ralph, you know," and showed me the same article and said, "Hey, we got to do this." And I said, "I don't want any parts of it." <laughs> and this is George George Jackson, George Jackson, the legendary. Yeah. yeah. He's a legendary producer and all-time good friend. Uh, uh, at that time, I think uh, uh, he was eating out of my refrigerator along with Doug. Because yeah. <laughs> I was the only one that had a wife. <laughs> and a house. And a refrigerator. Where, where was this? Where was this? No, it's right here in L.A. Okay. Yeah. So it was, it was an a interesting time. But I had written a, a film, George and I had... Uh, got a film placed at Universal, which was about breakdancing back in the day. It was kind of like the true story of it. I had like embedded myself with a breakdance crew in New York back in the day. Mm. And uh, they said they didn't believe there were dancing gangs, so they never <laughs> wanted to make the movie. <clears throat> and uh, so when George approached me about this, I said, oh God, I'm, I don't want to go through this again. Uh, count me out. 
-hmm. And he, he, he wouldn't take no for an answer and dragged me to a meeting with someone to this day. I don't know who it was. But uh, eventually, uh, before we got to Michael, I think we wound up at Clarence Avon's. I remember going to Clarence Avon, who was a, uh, we, we got to give big props to this because he was instrumental in getting us to Mo Austin and folks like that along with Michael. But Clarence, when we walked in there and asked Clarence for help, George said, we're going to meet with Clarence. And I didn't realize George didn't know Clarence. <laughs> and, and Clarence just said, well, why the hell should I? He said, what's your name? And, you know, he said, why should I help you guys? And George had some spiel, and he just said, okay, I'll do it. So um, then the trail led to none other than Doug McHenry here. <laughs> I'll let Doug take, take it from there. Well, I, for, for me, for me, the um, real catalyst was when George and I decided to work together. And we uh, were able to get Michael and Ralph down to a concert at the Long Beach Arena. Mm -hmm. Now, to set the stage is the same night the Victory Tour is opening up at Dodger Stadium. And, and, that's, and, my, and that's Michael Jackson. That's Michael Jackson and his brothers, of, you know, and then the Jackson, Jackson Five, Five right. reunion tour. And everybody in Los Angeles was anybody, and anybody who thought they were anybody was going there. That's right. And we approached Michael and Ralph to go down to Long Beach to this raggedy, to this raggedy theater they have down there and go to this hip-hop show. And lo and behold, we go down there and we're amazed because all of these kids who were the anti-Jackson people, I mean, these were real hip hop people and they came in a rainbow of colors. They were white people, they were black people, Latino people, all kinds of people, transvestites, you name it, they were there. And the show opens with the fat boys and then Run DMC comes out, and Curtis Blow, and I've forgotten some of the other people. Houdini, Houdini, and Houdini. These groups Dr. were just... Dr. Jekyll was it and UTFO. And it was all, this is at one show? This yeah. was it, all part was, of something called the Fresh, Fresh Fest. Fest. Right. And yeah. it was there at that time we met Russell and Rick Rubin and, and a number of the characters, Charlie Stetler, right. that we needed for the film. And at that point in time, at the end of it, we have no money or anything. And we turn to Ralph and we say, Ralph, you've got to write this and you've got to go on the Fresh Fest tour <laughs> and embed yourself with these groups to figure out what's going on. So right. I'm going to turn it over to, to well, Michael. Well, just to <laughs> fill in a little bit, we, we walk into this uh, arena in Long Beach and we see 17,000 kids you know, just having the time of their life. And we looked at each other and said, shit, this is no underground. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the only advertising was on the radio. And we said, no, this is major. Uh, then we went and talked to the groups afterwards, after the show. And they knew Cooley High. They, you know, they knew my, my movie. And I, we said, well, we want to make a documentary about you guys. And they said, documentary? 
shit, no, man, we, we want to ride the horse, kiss the girl, shoot the gun, you know. <laughs> we want a they movie. Want yeah. Oh. yeah, we want to make a movie. And I said, well, nobody knows who you are in, in Hollywood. We can't raise the money uh, to make a film about you guys. And they said, well, we're not interested. So <laughs> we go back to my house. Remember this? Mm -hmm. We go back to my house and we sit down and say, well, we got to come up with an idea that will appeal to their vanity, you know. And uh, uh, a day later, Ralph had this idea about doing uh, doing uh, the movie around uh, Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin and, and their rise uh, and the Fat Boys in a contest. How did you know that, Ralph? How did you know to, well, to link into that? Well, uh, it was a little bit more twisted than that, how we arrived, <laughs> arrived at that point. Because, you know, Russell, who everybody was like, hey, this thing has to be authentic. We want the real deal. We want to hear about the story about Junebug, who got murdered, who was a drug dealer, DJ slash DJ, DJ <laughs> and tell the real story of, of the hardcore life behind rap at that time. Because Run DMC was the state of the art, the hardest rapper in rap in 1985, you know. Of course, this predates NWA, obviously. Right, millennials <laughs> imagine no internet. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and Gen Xers imagine no Source magazine, no Vibe magazine. Yeah. Literally, when you wanted to stay up on hip hop, you had to go to the street. You had to go to the block or the Fresh Fest, you know, every once you in a while. You had to go to the could, party. Yeah, you had to yeah. go to the party. And you party. had to be in Bronx, yeah. Yeah. in the Bronx. Right. You, you couldn't really, the experience wasn't really here in L.A. at all. Right. Uh, bottom line is, I write this script according to the dictates of Russell Simmons, and uh, they had a change of heart. He says, oh, God, you know, I don't think we could do a film about drug dealing and stuff like that. They, they will hate us. Mm -hmm. You know, the mm -hmm. powers that be will reject us. And it was it was pretty much him saying, no, we, we can't do that. Then on the other hand, Charlie Stetler, who was the manager of the Fat Boys, was going, wait a minute, you wrote a movie that made it look like Russell manages the Fat Boys. And he walked. <laughs> and, and, and he, he grabbed the Fat Boys and said, we're not in this movie. And that's when you guys sent me out on the weirdest yeah, the tour I've ever been. They sent me on the road. The Fat Boys were touring in the South mm. with uh, 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 what what are the, uh, the kids, Bobby Brown? Uh, new Edition. Oh, new, new Edition. New edition. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget this. And I was rewriting. I was talking Charlie into doing this movie. So I had to write a separate movie for the Fat Boys where they never came in contact with the Russell Simmons character. <laughs> and it, isn't that really what happened? I mean, the only time I think they were together was at the very last song. Oh, yeah. No, no. That, you're right. I wrote a separate movie for them. Curtis Blow was the connective tissue, if you will. Right. He was the one that lived in both worlds that could, he was the only one that could talk to the fat boys and to Run and Russell and them, oh. apparently. Hip-hop so, drama back then. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and meanwhile, I, I realized that the fat boys were sex idols, you know. Sex, <laughs> that, that That's hilarious were, in itself. Uh, when I was on the road, you know, I was in the elevator uh, we stayed at one hotel, and I was in an elevator, and a bunch of teenage girls came in. I said, oh, you you, you guys want 
know where New Edition is? They said, no, we want to know where the fat boys are. <laughs> so I took them up to the fat <laughs> I, it was terrible what I did. I yeah, took him to the fat boys' room. Anyway, now that's <laughs> I, uh, no. that, that's the story that everyone wants to I, hear. I, I want to make uh, two two points here. The first is uh, just so people understand: Ralph, George, and I were nobodies. And first thing that George and I thought of, we need to get somebody involved in this project. We have some credibility. And that's how we were lucky to find Michael. Because Michael was a revered filmmaker then. And he was a very successful director. And we weren't even on the map. Yeah. So probably without Michael's involvement, we wouldn't have, there would have been no discussion of Cooley Hyde. At least we had a calling card in Michael. And yeah. then the other thing I'd like to and say. And Cooley Hyde was everybody's favorite Everybody's movie. favorite. It was like, you know, the minister society before that time. You know, so, so. But the other thing I want to say is this. Ralph does not exaggerate. At this time, it's balkanized. And the New York rap scene is dominated by four or five independent labels that are owned by all these little people that are all at war with each other, do not talk to each other, hate each other. And the idea that you're going to put their groups all in the same movie, you know, without the minute, well, how much screen time, Fat Boys versus Run DMC versus this versus that. Mm -hmm. And when we think about it, it's a miracle that that script got made because it did revolve around Russell and Rick Rubin, but more importantly, Russell. Oh. He's the only one that got the girl in the movie. You know, all the other standards by which am I in a movie? Do I get to kill somebody? Do I get to sleep with somebody? You know, all of those measures were really around Russell's story. And upon reflection, we were very lucky to get that movie made. Right, right. <laughs> and it, it also coincided with something that I experienced in New York. Uh, when I was shooting uh, The Last Dragon, I had a crew of 100 people and there was only one black person on the crew. And the movie was so big, I didn't have a chance to fight that battle. And so I, I told them in New York, I'm coming back and I'm making a movie with an all black crew just to prove to you guys that the talent exists and you're just not acknowledging it. So I come back. Giving to, people a chance. Uh, yeah. Right. Come back to L.A. And these guys show up on my doorstep <laughs> talking about, you know, a rap movie. And we're black. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay, this is it. You know. Well, you know, I, you know, this movie is, it got made, look, uh, I saw, you know, Doug doesn't give himself enough credit. I mean, one of the favorite moments in the whole process was, when we were supposed to deliver the budget to Warner Brothers, to the head of production, before we went off for pre-production in New York. And Michael, being the techie he's always been, had a computer which no one had ever seen before. I hadn't seen one. And he was doing the budget on a computer. I'd never heard of this. And he was, he'd been all weekend at his home putting this budget together. He so got I, day out of days, all of that. So Doug and George were in the head of production's office. I forget his name. And I'm. they sent me out to Santa Monica to get the budget because there's no email. 
you know, you got to go deliver that. And we can afford a message. No dialogue on AOL <laughs> so, yet. So, so, I'm, so I'm out there with Michael. And, you know, I'm kind of, I'm into tech stuff. And I'm going, I couldn't afford it. But, you know, Michael's got all the stuff. And he's going, yeah, we've been working on it all weekend. It's going good. You know, I had to do it. But to do it really fast, I had to do it in RAM. I'm going, eh, what's RAM? Well, I said, well, you know, it's, it's kind of touchy if you do it in RAM because if the power goes out, you know, I will lose everything. <laughs> no sooner did he say that than the power goes out. And I'm saying, Michael goes, uh-oh. I said, what's that? He said, power went out. <laughs> All the time now, Doug and George on the phone with me saying, where's the budget? Where's the budget? So I just take off. I run. I go to Warner Brothers and... Doug is looking at me. Come here, and say, there's no budget. It's what the power went out. Michael lost the whole damn thing. It's gonna take a couple more days to get it out. And so, so Doug goes in and tells he, he tells the head of production that we're not. This is leave, Mark Kent. I'm I'm not leaving your office till you write us a check. That's he right. said, so what? He said, so me, Doug, and George, three black men and Warner Brothers talk about we're not leaving <laughs> until we get a check. Did they call security? No, he got so angry, but then he reaches behind his desk and pulls out the largest checkbook I've ever seen. I mean, one that it had to be three feet long. This is Mark Hanton and Jim Miller. Actually, this is Jim Miller. Jim, he pulls out a check. He writes a check for $100,000. And nice. says, get the hell out of my office. <laughs> <laughs> that was and in the memo. Little did we know that was the last check he intended to ever write to that production. <laughs> and we went off to New York. And we and we had to call the bank because the, the other side of this story is that we had signed, George and I had George and I had gone to New York and we had signed Russell Simmons and Run DMC and all of the groups that we wanted. And we had to go pay or play. Now, we have no money, you understand? Mm -hmm. We're going pay or play. Within 90 days, we have to pay all these people all this money. Right. Little did I know that one of the groups, the Fat Boys, is managed by Art Cass, who works for a guy named Morris Levy. Now, Morris Levy is one of the legendary gangsters in the movie business. I mean, in the record business. Here's the scene. He owned the Blue Note in the village. Quincy Jones is standing there between Morris Levy and his brother. Gunmen come in, kill Morris Levy's brother. Quincy Jones faints because he thought he had been hit. This is how this guy is, Morris Levy. Wow. So I come back, he and I remember going up to his office, and Bob Kaplan, nobody would say anything. He's, who's going to be responsible for my money? I said, I will. He said, young man, understand something. I didn't ask you to do this. You said you will get me my money at the end of the term in 30 days, right? Uh -huh. Then I will hold you to it. I didn't know who it was. I come back, Clarence Avon, Quincy Jones say to me, you fool, you don't know Morris Levy is a killer. And that's how I found out who, who Morris Levy was when Quincy says, I brought my big band back from Montreux. I'm playing the village game on the Blue Note, whatever. And he, his brother gets killed right beside me. That's who you're dealing with. So to reset so, for everybody. So we reset check and had to get to New York. Wow. And so for everybody who's not in the business, pay or play means right. you make a deal with an actor. Uh, you either play them right. or pay them. Well, you, when you play them, you pay them. Right. But right. if you don't play them, you still pay them. You still right. pay them. Right. And then, so you knew that that was uh, 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 that was just 
imagine that was somebody, wishful thinking on somebody your part. had to sign the contract and say they were responsible george was still working for richard Pryor, right. so he couldn't do it right. bob kaplan disappeared i mean you know put it this way he had helped us but he wasn't signing that i said forget it what do i have to lose my phone's about to be turned up i gotta get the movie made <laughs> Putting your life on the line for the movie. That's what we did. And we took that $100,000, had it wired to New York, opened up production offices. As Ralph said, they never intended to give us another nickel. Mm. But we kept acting like we were making a movie. And pretty soon Warner Brothers believed they were making a movie. And that was it. No, it was amazing because we said, said, look, these groups are going on tour in June. And we're, we're in... March, mm-hmm. and we said, look, if we don't get to New York and open up an office and really start casting and finish the rest of the, you know, find who's going to play Russell Simmons, <laughs> <laughs> then then we are not going to be ready, and these groups are going on tour. They are not going to uh, miss a day of this tour. And, and they were going to be in the canon picture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, they were. They were all. There was a time that uh, Doug and George found out that Russell was going to meet with Canon <laughs> about doing a movie, and so they showed up at the Canon office before Russell and intercepted. <laughs> really? really? I didn't. I didn't hear this story. What? Oh, tell yeah. me that one. Well, you no, you you were there. You well, know. we were we were there. We we got wind of it because I knew some people at Canon. And Canon was a not Can, the Canon was a picture with a company studio, that had right. done a couple of oh, uh, movies. Bo- it was the screen gems Boogaloo. of the day. Yeah, yeah. They do. Boogaloo <laughs> breakdown or something, right. Shabaloo or Shaba Dabba or somebody. At any rate, they were breakdancing people that didn't understand that hip hop was a whole culture. It wasn't just about people dancing on cardboard mats. Right. But bottom line was, these guys were business people. We we hadn't gone pay or play yet. And so they were sneaking behind our back because Cannon wanted to make basically a movie like this. Mm. So George and I hung out at the at the entrance of the Cannon offices. And when we caught Russell sneaking up in there, we stopped him cold and took he and Rick Rubin mm. and took him off to lunch and said, listen, we've committed to you. They didn't send anybody to the Fresh Fest. They don't have Ralph. And we actually, and we said, they don't have no Michael Schultz. The only legitimate director you even ever heard of. So 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 he said, okay, I'll give you a couple of days. And then I made friends with Paul Schindler, their lawyer, who represented all the hip-hop people. And through a confluence of influences there, they said, okay, you got 90 days to come up with this money, but you got to commit now. And that's when I had to sign the contract and say, I'll get the money. And that was it. Because wow. yeah. Cannon would have written that check. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow. And there, that was a time where the conversation was how long is this fad of rap oh, yeah. going to last yeah. it wasn't any real conversation about hip-hop or about a culture it was a, a fad that the kids were into called rap and and the question was how long it's gonna last which is why we and we use that to our advantage we said we better hurry up and make this movie mm-hmm. yeah they, they were they were not interested in making warner the film people were not interested in making this movie i Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's Mo Austin who wanted who helped us. Well, who wanted that soundtrack. Yeah, I went. I, I had had the good fortune to spend 13 days on a Greek yacht 
uh, sailing the the um, Mediterranean with Mo Austin and his wife, and the guy who ran the Montreux uh, uh, Jazz, Jazz Festival. Festival, and Jack Holzman, who uh, had discovered the Doors and A&M Records. Mm-hmm. Uh, Again, the only buddy who was anybody was Michael Schultz on this situation. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're on this yacht, and we we know each other, you know, and and. So when the idea comes up, I go to Mo Austin and I say, look, Mo, you have not heard of any of these people, but I, in two years, your kids are going to be singing all these songs. And he called up the uh, Mark Canton at, right there when I was in his office. And I said, he said, how much is the picture going to cost? I said, a million dollars. And he said, oh, well, that's, that's lunch money. That's <laughs> <laughs> video money. <laughs> yeah. He said, he called Mark Canton and said, make this picture. Um, and um, so at least we got the film people on board. Um, the, again, going back to that point about the record labels, mm-hmm. this was such a magical period. You had... Uh, uh, Fred Mineo had a label. Corey, uh, Corey, uh, what's his name? They had Profile Records was right, a label. Right. These were like little kingdoms, and all of them had their little group. Jerry Heller. And Jer- Jerry Heller. Right. And, and, um, and of course, uh, the South African, Clive Calder. Mm. And the production was so exquisite. Like, if you listen to a Houdini record, mm. it's amazing. Mm. All of the, uh, the 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 levels and stuff like that, but the point was that Warner Brothers was out of it, mm-hmm. and so to convince Warner Brothers that we could bring all these groups there, and in fact, not only did we bring the soundtrack to Warner Brothers, we they Warner Brothers could have had the Def Jam deal, yep. they could have acquired Tommy Boy Records at the time. My girlfriend was president of Tommy Boy Records. <laughs> Which is how we got that Force MD song mm. with Jimmy and Terry, right. Tender right. Love. Yep. Uh, that yep. was our kind of our baby, our record, right? Ten, tender but, Love was, it was in the number movie. one record. It, it was, was in the movie and a yeah. number one record. The love scene, yeah. 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 Exactly. But the point was that all of these groups hadn't made their big major distribution deals yet. Mm. And what's just sad to me is he did get the soundtrack, mm-hmm. which was okay, right. but he was right there as a result of us. To get these labels that grew to be huge, mm-hmm. Tommy Boy, Def Jam, yeah. Select, these well, were like legendary record labels right. that people then acquired years later for hundreds of millions of dollars. Right, right. Well, it it was all new. Right. It, it was a new culture, new music, and new business. Yeah, and yeah. Mo Austin came from the Frank Sinatra era. That's right. You know, <laughs> so he he didn't understand it, but he did have. ZZ Top and you know they they you know and and their group at that time was Van Halen right you know right. and he had somebody named Prince Prince and they had done the movie Purple Rain well uh, no we had 
was Purple Rain before us? Yeah, yeah. No, it was before. So they were red because the marketing tried to copy Purple Rain. Real quick, there's a Prince story involved with the making of Crush Groove, isn't there? Oh, there is. Can I hear one of those? Can I take it to that? Is that okay? Where did you start with your recollection? Is this appropriate time for a Prince story? On some on some hip hop shit. Yeah, it actually is. Well. Warner Brothers would not make the movie um, with just the rappers because they didn't know who these people were, right? So they said, you got to have one uh, recognizable artist um, in this movie. And so we came up with the idea of having the girlfriend. The love interest. The love interest be Sheila E. Who of course, from a, at the time, Right. Was involved with a with, with a, a young guy named Prince. <laughs> no, with a girl. Oh, oh we, don't <laughs> we don't want to tell all that. Uh, well, I'm just saying it was an odd choice in a certain. Yeah. <laughs> Today it would be him. Now, now Vanity was in Last Dragon. Vanity yeah. was in. So Last this is Dragon. a Prince family affair. It's you a, know, and and I never saw the man at all. Uh, during the shooting of uh, Last Dragon oh, yeah. or during the shooting of Crush Groove. I had heard that he was around. I saw him. I know. <laughs> but I was busy directing the movie. Right? Yeah, yeah, you were just hanging. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were the same side. Ah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, but so, I so all I remember is we're, we're coming into this, um, this big performance. Manhattan where, Center. Manhattan Center where Sheila E., has to do two major numbers, right? Uh, and we get there early in the morning. Love Bazaar, number one record, please. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the other one, uh, uh, Rock, a Rock, a Holly Rock, Holly Rock, rock. rock. Holly Rock, and Love Bazaar. Not so successful. Right. And, <laughs> and she tried. The movie business, you start early in the morning, you know. And so we're we're there early in the morning, and we start rehearsing, and Sheila is exhausted she's tired she can hardly move and i'm saying what, what's wrong <laughs> turned out that prince had been rehearsing her all night long for crush groove for, for crush, crush groove. groove damn at least he took an interest yeah not known to us he right. just wanted his his act to be pristine and perfect you know? wow. and to be the best and yeah and to be the best so that's my my Prince story. My, my story is this: to get it was through Warner Brothers, mm -hmm. but also to Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis connection that we had that also helped get Prince involved with the movie. Mm -hmm. But I remember being at the Manhattan Center, and I'm, and I'm introduced as one of the producers of a movie, whatever. Right. And then I get a guy, I'm starting to stick my hand out or whatever, and this huge white Viking, about 350 pounds, white hair. He just looked like he come. He came from a albino snowman, snow uh, <laughs> uh, polar bear or something. He was fierce. He steps between me and Prince, and he goes like this, no, if you want to speak to Prince, you talk to me, then I talk to Prince. Prince talks to me, then I tell you what he said. He told you this? Yes. 
the prince is just sitting there, very meek, you know, uh, the genius. Mm -hmm. And so, well, I said, would you still tell, would you tell Prince that we were very happy that, you know, that he brought Sheila and she's been fantastic? He goes whispers in his ear. Now we're, I'm as close to the man as, as Michael. Right? <laughs> he heard you, right? right, right. He heard it. <laughs> and then the guy, the bodyguard comes, well, you know, Prince is very satisfied and happy at the moment, you know, and hopes that, you know, all goes well. And that. So, so it was funny that a guy two inches from your nose, you have to speak to this third party snowman. Bizarre. You know, and that was Prince. But he had a fanatical attention to detail. Yep. And he was a perfectionist. And if you, all of his musicians could play. There was no doubt about that, except for the the, the pointers like Jerome and people like right, that. Right. But aside from that, but, print, but that's my Prince story. You have a Prince story? <laughs> no, I, I just remember he came and rehearsed Sheila E. one weekend. I, was that what you guys? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was, I was yeah. saying exhausted yeah. her to death so she couldn't perform. All right, right. now, now, Liz, I got a question about Sheila E. Then, so I was listening to an interview she did. I think it was either on Sway Show or Ed Lover Show, and she said she actually quit for a moment. This movie is that true? Well, Mm. She probably felt like she wanted to. Okay. Well, there was, there was a whole controversy about the love scene yeah, well, because well, of her significant other. Well, her, her, what, she, what she said is that when she did the rap, mm -hmm. which, you know, when she right. was in the, the room and she rapped, right. that all the other MCs who were true MCs were stressing her about that. And okay. she felt, you know, such a, a, a push against her that yeah. she felt she had to quit. Right. That. I don't remember that, but Michael. Michael. Yeah, she, she probably felt that way. And I know that they did give her a hard time. Because yeah, she was famous. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah, had she a number was, one hit. <laughs> she was the only one known, yeah. right? I mean, uh, Love Bazaar was general. a huge record. Yeah, exactly. And, and But Prince wanted the other one. He wanted Holly Rock I know. to be number one. And I said, mm, Love Bazaar. Love Bazaar was a yeah. yeah. We could even hear that. Yeah, yeah right, right <laughs> yeah. now, yeah. Well, let's let's um, talk about the title. How when I remember hearing an earlier title, how yeah. did that evolve? Well, I what was the Kings of Rap. Uh, well, it was the Kings of Rap. Rap was attack. Rap attack. I remember that. That was awful. That was awful. That that should have been the canon picture. <laughs> it was a rap attack. But there was a record. There was a record. And I forget. I saw on the label it said "Crush Groove" somewhere on no, it. No, it, it, it was it, it, it was a label. It was a label. Somebody said "Crush Groove." It said "Crush Groove" on it, referencing a, a track. Mm -hmm. And and uh, I thought that was kind of cool. And it was also derivative of Orange Crush because it really came from Russell's. Uh, I, I I saw I saw really? no I saw the words "Crush Groove." So yeah. I, I literally saw the words "Crush Groove." Mm -hmm. I, I I read mm -hmm. them. I, I'm I'm remembering. No, this is back, you know. I'm. I don't remember. Yeah, I kept asking you, what is, what does that mean? And you, and you, <laughs> I you said know. it's yeah. cool music. <laughs> it, it, it was You're crushing it. It, it, yeah. it was it was better than rap attack. <laughs> yeah. Way yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I I doubt seriously <laughs> if we would be talking now. about the branded potential <laughs> of rap attack. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what everyone was. There was no hip hoppers. There were rappers. Rap yeah, attack. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You're a rapper or you're a DJ or you're now, a dancer. Well, you know, the one thing I wanted to mention uh, was that I think what 
I think Michael and I sort of conspired to do was to, to do an actual musical. And, and that's, uh, if you look at the structure of it and the way we did it. Oh, this was a musical. It was mm -hmm. it was a straight up, mm -hmm. it, it was a, you know, really the script I wrote was just a book Broadway. to connect, connect the, song. the songs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, we have full blown, you know, that, that piece on the stairs that you did. Don't you fat, dog me? In the high yeah. school. Fat Boys yeah. <laughs> was, I thought was absolutely uh, that was a, great. Br a brilliant. Really good. And then Curtis Blow really kind of pushed the envelope because, you know, they, they didn't want to be associated with dancers or anything like that mm -hmm. at all. So Kurt mm -hmm. kind of, when he d came up with, with the this girls. big thing he wanted to do, that was a, a risky sort of uh, uh, an approach I, I, for him I have at that to, time. I, you continue, but I have to say, I have this go, little tidbit. Rappers were prideful of the fact they did not sing. Mm -hmm. right. And mm -hmm. when Curtis Blow did that number yeah. where he sung as well as rapped, so you had a rhythm and blues bridge to the rap right. that was really the first time mm. that any exposure like that had happened right and, and there when was you a think lot of about, controversy yeah. and when you yeah. think about all that has happened where it's practically obligatory that every pop diva have a rap bridge right mm -hmm. and also that was a huge nas hit if i rule the world yeah, oh yeah. and it came directly from crush group yeah, yeah. Right. Right. And uh, the choreographer was very avant-garde. Who was uh, Lori Issa? I mean, we we had some. It was some risky approaches. Uh, some, a lot of risks were taken in making this movie creatively. And right? her and her assistant's name, I kid you not, was Susie Sidewinder. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Lori Eastside and Suey Sidewinder. <laughs> you remember everything. I know those girls. <laughs> I liked her. <laughs> I mean, that it, it is a risk because you were doing a hip-hop or rap movie, yet there was Sheila E. doing R&B stuff, mm -hmm. and you had New Edition. Right. I mean, I, I watched the movie just two days ago just to get refreshed, mm. and I was thinking to myself, if you were doing a hip hop movie now, those two scenes wouldn't even, or those two wouldn't acts make. wouldn't even be in it. Mm -hmm. uh, but you yeah. guys did it. Was that because you had to link in what people knew to what they didn't know? I mean, what was the thoughts behind having an R and B presence in in the film? Doug was thinking nothing but soundtrack. <laughs> I was thinking. For <laughs> he said, we, only, "This was not only a way we're going to make some money is on the records." <laughs> but I also, but I also felt that I'd always felt that this fusion was happening and you could see it in If I Ruled the World and then later when we did Do Jack City, you saw it with The Bridge with Queen Latifah and, and Shaka and, Khan and, and all, of that, all that yeah. stuff. So, so for us, it was new, but we weren't doing a documentary. Basically, we had an obligation not to bore the audience, to entertain. Mm -hmm. and Talk and, about who we went after to sing Tender Love. <laughs> <laughs> but although you're the one that got us ultimately where we had to be, but we were going, we wanted yeah. Jeffrey Osborne. We were begging we him. <laughs> <laughs> we were begging him to do this record, and then Doug comes in. Yeah. I, I'm not going to tell the circumstances, but he, he basically comes in. Hey, man, we got we got these kids over here, you know, who can sing this song. And we said, well, they're rappers. They're not singers. They're the Force MDs, they sing. We had this huge argument about whether or not the Force MDs could actually sing. Mm -hmm. And then... When they record the song, we all look at each other and say, why, 
how were we thinking about anyone else ever? It's like you didn't it? know that Queen Latifah could sing. You didn't right. know that so many of these rappers could mm-hmm. sing because it was just that we do not sing. Mm-hmm. And we kind of broke that thing. Right, exactly. And I remember when uh, George and I, uh, George took me when we tracked down Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis to, to ask them to, to, uh, produce, write, the to produce the uh, no, write and produce it. That right. was Clarence. Yeah, and they and they um, they were like, uh, what? Well, like really? I mean, I mean, they, they, and they were, were they huge. were happy as a movie. They, they were huge at the time, and they were going like, "You want us to do some movie stuff? Yeah, we're, we're down." Mm. And that record was huge. That yeah. that yeah. tender love was a huge. And we flew record. the Force MTs back to Minneapolis to their homes, where they did it in their home studios and everything. And mm-hmm. it was really an organic process. Um, it's a great record. It's yeah. just a great record. Yeah. Well, let's talk about yeah. LL Cool J. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, scene. All right. That's scene. Box. Uh, box. Yeah, which, which, <laughs> I wish I could say I wrote that. I didn't. That was all total ad lib. So, yeah. so re- recreate or set the scene for what that was because that that is, people talk about that as being the monster, one of the monster scenes in the movie. Well, the well, precursor to that you got to get is that LL uh, was not supposed to be in that movie, but apparently was in every other scene, which we found out later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, but, he was moving stuff around in the was, stage. Yeah. Right, it was like people play Finding LL and Crush Groove, and we didn't know he snuck into the damn movie already. But we had hired him to do some uh, write some lyrics. He wrote all the raps for the Russell character, and I, I'll never forget at the end of it. I said, "Hey, uh, you know, how do I pay you, man? Who, who, who are your people? Should I talk to your dad?" He said, no, 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 man, just rock me with a couple pair of Adidas. And I was sitting at the production table. There was a wall of Adidas behind us. I said, no, LL, no, we give you money for this. He said, no, no, (laughs) just rock me with a couple pair of Adidas. I said, well, you know your size? He said, yeah. I said, well, go go get what you want. And he grabbed those, and he was such a nice kid. No, we're we're talking he's 17 years old, Yeah, he's literally, but he's known as a lyricist. He was... He was literally the first one known for writing very smart, uh, multi multi syllabic right. type of lyric words but, in in, the, in his lyrics, mm-hmm. and everybody was you know Russell was trying to was pushing him, mm-hmm. and everybody yeah he's a nice kid yeah yeah man he did the lyrics he only did it for a couple pairs of sneakers you know give the kid a give the kid <laughs> but a the, shot but the other aspect of this is that LL Cool J is a genius. LL Cool J, you know how people have a photographic memory? Mm-hmm. He has an audiographic memory. Mm-hmm. He's the only person, and this was true at the time, and people knew this of him, he could hear a rap by song by somebody else one time, mm-hmm. completely memorized, completely total recall. So here's a guy who's so young, who's walking around, is literally a compendium of rap and all of the lyrics and all of the songs. Mm-hmm. And there was, to some degree, and, and you guys will have to bear me out on this, uh, there was a little tension because people were starting to get jealous of LL. Right. And I remember one time we were shooting at the, at the uh, studio and someone trashed his, um, trashed his dressing room, mm-hmm. one of the other groups. I don't know who it was, mm-hmm. but... but that all of that is to say that LL was extremely special right, from right. jump, and it sounds like rap was a rough sport now. Oh yeah, hey. <laughs> well, well, it's always been. But LL would keep bugging me every day, and he said, <laughs> "Let me, let me just push a broom across the across the stage. You know, I'll be in the background." And and so 
we eventually came up with letting him do radio uh, as an audition piece and just for do death, a little bit of it. Yeah, exactly. I, but my favorite, I wish we could find the audition. The audition tapes for Crush Groove was, is the best audition tapes in the world, which we don't know where they are right yeah. now. But the everybody in him, everybody track him down in LL when he auditioned. I remember because I was sitting there watching, and he, you know, he has his guy, you know, who's with him. He says, you know, I don't do nothing without him. We said, like, well, was he? Well, do? What does he do? <laughs> was he? He just chills. I said, chill. What? What is he a chiller? He said, yeah, he he just chills, but. All he did was just point, you know, he was just, LL would jump in front of him and he would point on cue. And it, he, it was the funniest audition of all time. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I don't mean to take over this interview, but I can't, I, I, I would like to ask Michael and Ralph a question. And that is when you think about that scene for LL, how did the scene for the Beastie Boys get in? Oh, that was that was Russell, Russell Simmons. Russell Simmons. Russell was the Rick Rubin hated the Beastie Boys, right? But right. he was the he was the uh, the the the, the, the not, not the his. MC right. but the DJ for the Beastie Boys. It was he was a he was a member of the Beastie Boys. Who Rick Rick no. Rubin? I thought he produced them no, towards no. the no. second. He performed second, with second them sometimes. At, at that time, uh, in their partnership, he Russell the was the only one. The Russell was the only one who pushed believed him. in the uh, Beastie Boys yeah. and really pushed them. And and we kept saying, Wait, were they not? Are they really rappers? What are they? And he said, it doesn't matter. So well, people uh, kind of boo them. He says, that's I want I want I want them booing them. That was his requirement. Remember right. that scene? Mm -hmm. Right. I want them to get on stage. I want them to get booed off stage because they just got booed off stage somewhere in the Bronx not too long right. before that. And I was going, wow. Okay. Because it was a bunch of white boys, yeah. you know, kind of wedging into the whole rap movement. And Russell knew it was going to be hot. He, he knew know? it. And I, and yeah. I said, man, this music is not, he says, I want the parents to shout, turn that music off. If they're not doing <laughs> that, then it's not right. That was, yeah. I mean, he, he was he was on point on that and, one. And I, I have to say this one thing. I remember going, the when they were doing the movie, they were so... They they were really gaining a lot of fan base. We used to go see them at Dance at Terry and yeah, all that. Right. But the bottom line was their big break while they were filming our movie was that they were going to open for Madonna's Like a Virgin tour. Mm -hmm. And because they had the same lawyer, Paul Schindler. Right. And I remember Russell and going I remember going up to Columbia where they did the rehearsal space to dance and they couldn't really dance. And then Russell saying, You gotta embarrass Madonna. You gotta be men. So we go to the radio music hall. They're, they're opening up for Madonna, and they say, she ain't no virgin, and all this stuff. They just trashed the poor woman. <laughs> and they got kicked off the tour the same day. And Russell's perversion, he was so happy about that because it made headlines. And he was absolutely right. It added to their mystique. Well, my uh, well, she ain't no virgin. Do we have any Rick Rubin story? I got a Rick Rubin story. Do <laughs> oh, yeah? it, do yeah. it, please. All right, the Rick Rubin story. One day, Rick comes up to me and says, "Mr. Farquhar, and you got to understand." I was like, "Man, please don't call me." <laughs> he says, "I, you know, can you do me a favor?" I said, "Yeah, what? What's wrong?" It looked like it was real serious. He said, "Would you, uh, would you mind talking to my parents?" And I said. <laughs> Talk to your parents about what? Well, they think I'm wasting my life. Well, you just explain to them that, you know, that I'm going to be okay. <laughs> so you got to understand, but 
I'm like coked out of my mind back here. <laughs> 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 so I'm like, okay. Uh, so I take Rick Rubin and his parents to dinner at the Empire Diner. That, uh, that, that silver thing right off, was it? Yeah. Was it where, where we in, in Manhattan? I forget that. Avenue. Chelsea or something? No, uh, yeah, no, right, it's yeah, right, the West Side. Yeah, yeah 10th no, no, Avenue. No, no, it's more right. right. No, I don't think it's the West Side. Anyway, Empire. it's the Empire Diner. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. And, and I'm sitting there with his parents, and they finished eating, and I hadn't touched anything on my plate for obvious reasons. And <laughs> and I, I look at him, I said, you know, uh, Rick is going to be, he's going to do just fine. Doing this movie, he's, he's gonna be okay. And they look at me and they, they smile and they thank me. So I said, "That's it. I'm I'm out of here. Nice meeting y'all. I left. Next day he comes up to me and said, "Man, you saved my life." Last night. <laughs> no. He said, "Thank you." And now two hundred million dollars. <laughs> yeah, later. yeah. I can't. Hey, I can't get Rick on the phone. Yeah. Hey, Rick. And he loves I saved Chinese, your life. He loved Chinese <laughs> chicken wings. I went. I went to the mat for you. Yeah. I lied. I lied. I said you were gonna be all right. That's a great story. That's a great story, Ralph. That's, like, you know, I never that's a good one. Hey, yeah. hey man, a lot of things were happening when you weren't in your hotel room. Doug. <laughs> I know you, you could walk on it. I couldn't. <laughs> I know I got some questions, but is there any other gems, other things that we wouldn't think to ask that you guys got to share? I, I have one thing, and that is this is the night that George and I had to sign Run DMC, all three of them, and uh, LL, and, and get, but excuse me, it was really Run DMC and the Fat Boys, and get them on the dotted line. And I remember getting a gypsy cab, and Andre Harrell's with us, Russell's with us, George and myself, and I had written up these kind of funky little contracts, mm-hmm. right? And we, it, we, we go off into the night, and black people couldn't get a cab, right? So we had mm-hmm. a gypsy cab. And we are going through Queens to get these guys to sign the contract. So the first house we encounter is Jam Master Jay. They're pit bulls. You know, we almost mm-hmm. lost our lives. He comes out in these cute little pajamas and stuff. He signs the deal. Next, then we go to Daryl's house. Daryl's house is like a nice little middle class house. He comes out in these pajamas that look like they're from house party or something. He was really nice and stuff. And then we have to go to run which is Russell Simmons' parents' home, and Run still lives there. Mm-hmm. Now, we knock on the door. They aren't answering the door. It's too late, you know. We hear <laughs> some <laughs> grumblings inside. And then there's this little... And we look down, and then there's a lower level, a little, like, window, because you have basements on the East Coast. And I mm-hmm. guess he lived in the basement. And so he said, what do you want? Over there? So we passed the contract in through the little window... And then he signs, and he gets it out, and we come out. Meanwhile, you're out there, and there's people, like, gathering in the street who are these people or whatever. We were lucky to get out. But I just thought it was so, such a contrast. They had this hard image. But all of them lived with their parents or whatever in these oh, nice little homes. Oh, yeah. Well, well, you <laughs> yeah. remember we had we we hired Russell and Ron's father to play the minister. That's right. Yeah. That's I remember, right. I'll never forget on the set. I'll never forget this because Run and Russell, we hard, we hard, we hard. And they were standing in front of their dad. They had their heads bowed and they were going, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> they were scared of their father. And he was just like regular brother, you know, mm-hmm. but he had them on lock. And they were, yes, sir, yes, sir, <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> and very softly. <laughs> it was hysterical. That is crazy. Yeah, and, and there was a... Uh... 
portraying uh, young Russell Simmons was Blair Underwood. Uh, yeah. A Michael Schultz discovery. A discovery. Of a discovery of sorts. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Why was that? Why? That was one of my questions. Why Blair? A man why, I mean, from every, the South. everyone played themselves <laughs> except Russell. Are you want to hear this story? Yeah. I, I tell it. Tell it. Okay. This story. I. You know. Well, first of all, we didn't want Russell Simmons to play himself. Didn't want Russell. We had, we, had, we, had, we had hired... The other groups wouldn't be in the movie. We, <laughs> talk about that. We had hired... Uh, 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 Curtis Blow was going to play that part. And we fired him. Mm-hmm. Or I fired him because Russell wouldn't tell him. So I had to tell him <laughs> that he, he wasn't doing it. Russell stood behind me as I told him. <laughs> told him he wasn't. That's awkward, right? <laughs> yeah, but but it, it wasn't... We, we, we didn't fire We moved him over to another part playing himself. And and for the right reason, because he had to really focus on producing all the music, because Curtis right. Blow was the only producer that everybody trusted, mm-hmm. and, and, and he was great. So we yeah. we so we had hired a kid to replace a kid out of L.A., and I forget his name because you were in the other room finalizing his travel arrangements, mm-hmm. and, and he had told his parents and everybody he was excited, and Michael and I were in there looking through the audition tapes to make some last minute small one line casting. And so Michael's looking through the thing at at high speed. He's fast forward. He's looking through all the audition tapes. Then he goes, that's him. I said, I said, that's him what? Uh, that's 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 who should play Russell. I said Russell. What do you what do you, what do you? We Michael, already hired Russell. We, we, we hired Russell. It's been, but Michael, so Michael uh, uh, stops it. I said, well, what did you see? And he and then and then your your wife comes in and said says what's going on? I said he's, he's he wants to switch uh, uh, hire a new actor to play Russell. I said Michael, you can't do this. So. Which made me realize Michael had done this before because she was like, going, Michael, you can't do it. And then, and then the duck comes in and he says, Well, what's going on? Michael wants to hire this other kid to play Russell. And Doug goes, Wait, 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 I'm on the phone with the kid. He told his parents, he's flying out here. We already hired someone to do it. And so then Michael said, All right, play it. He plays it regular time. It's the only time he's seen it regular time, along with the rest of it. He plays it. Goes and we all go. Okay, Doug says. Okay, I get rid of the other kid. <laughs> we, 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 that's how he got high. I don't know yeah. how to this moment what he saw on fast forward. I but he was a good looking kid. Blair yeah, Underwood. he 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 just had a quality. He was he was handsome. He was self assured. But he was uh, fast forwarding. <laughs> <laughs> but he was from the south, and he, and he was just out of he he j- just graduated from uh, what Carnegie Mellon, yeah, uh, what, he, college, no. yeah. yeah. He just got he, out of Virginia or something. No, he yeah. went. He's from Virginia, right? But no, he was I part of that Pittsburgh know. mafia out of Carnegie. He graduated, I think. Carnegie no, I'm Mellon. saying he, I thought he grew up in Virginia. Oh yeah, yeah. but he just got out of college. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was his like first real paying gig, right? Right, uh, right exactly. Uh, but Michael's the one that saw that. Wow, that was that was. I mean, to this day, I'm I'm amazed. I, I watch auditions at fast forward because of that, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. Was there any issues that you you had to deal with? I mean, I've I've heard that a Jam Master Jay wasn't happy when Run got slapped. I heard that Run wasn't happy that he had to be disloyal to his brother. 
that uh, the cast didn't like the film. I mean, was this it? Were these issues you guys were dealing with, or was everyone just cool to you guys? Well, I don't remember any of that. Well, the slap. <laughs> I, I remember the slap because I was. <laughs> it was the scene where she was supposed to uh, a slap run. Right. And so uh, Run says, "Well, I got to hit her." We're going like, wait, wait, you can't, you run, you can't, you you can't really hit a girl. I mean, what? How's that gonna look? <laughs> no, man. I mean, I can't go out like a, you know, I'm, I can't punk. be soft. I'm yeah. hard. I got, I got to hit her. I got to hit her. And so it was. It stopped the scene. I remember yep. it totally stopped everything. We're like, okay. He said, I'm not doing it. And so uh, we, we sort of, uh, me, Michael, and Gloria sort of huddled for a second. I went back to him and I said, uh, okay, uh, you start to hit her, but then you think better of it <laughs> and you decide to go, you know, get your, uh, help her get your brother. And he, he said, oh, that's cool, that's cool. Let's go. <laughs> Start to hit it. If you if you watch the movie, he goes, yeah. there's a little fan yeah. and he comes back. I have to say though, I feel that when the movie was done, there was and, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm. but my perception was that Russell and those guys didn't particularly like the movie, that it was too soft because again, there's always a tension when you have a musical artist in a movie. Mm. They have that musical image that it's their bread and butter. And yeah. for them, they had to be hard, 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 hard. Mm -hmm. But the character didn't call for that. And and so there was a discontinuity there. Don't be messing, in other words, translation, I like the movies, don't be messing with my record sales, my yeah, image. But, and they're on, so they, so, and there was always a, a, a competition. Did the fat boys have more screen time versus mm. Run DMC? How did they right. come off? Well, you know, that, so that issue of being hard yeah. was, was something that he was battling with himself because mm -hmm. remember our original approach was a much, Harder, more like what straight out of Compton was, right. mm -hmm. and so we 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 you know we kind of arrived at this tone for the movie in hindsight that turned out to be exactly right. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, you know, because the music of the day, the type of music they were singing was fun. It, it wasn't was, gangster rap. It, it right. was it wasn't right. gangster, despite what individual circumstances might be. It was party music, mm -hmm. and it was and it was the type of it was an inviting movie as opposed to scaring people off which yeah exactly it wasn't and, realism and, and even as soft as the movie was it still created riots in the theater well that was the i like right? i don't think the movie created it <laughs> I, I think the whole notion of closing down theaters in black neighborhoods. Yeah, but and people so, don't know that. So they, you got to tell right. that. Or overselling the tickets because you didn't expect a thousand oh, people they, to show up. They oversold in Westwood. There was a ride, but yeah. there was also uh, uh, coincided with the emergence of uh, uh, the multiplexes in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. So you had all these black kids showing up. In, uh, in shopping malls. In shopping malls, standing next to people going to see Meryl Streep or somebody. I don't know. It was, right. it, was uh, it got to be. Uh, yeah, the football quarterback taking out his blonde girlfriend and up jump run DMC and there are people from Brooklyn and Valley Stream. Right. There's yeah. going to be a problem. It became a, a, a phenomenon. <laughs> uh, it was, that was, the, none of us saw that coming though in terms of. The uh, the violence associated with that opening. No, no, but but you um, Warner's not knowing what rap really was mm -hmm. was patterning the release the same way they did Purple Rain, 
And we kept telling them, look, if you put this movie in theaters where black kids don't go, they're going to go. <laughs> They're gonna go to Buckhead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You gotta put the, this movie yeah. in places where this is not Purple Rain. This is not Prince. This is a whole other movement. And then when they didn't listen, yeah, and they they put the movie in in Buckhead, which is a, a affluent area of Atlanta, for example, and Valley Stream, Long Island. Yeah, Valley Stream, Westwood. Uh, the, the, the mall or Westwood. Did they? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, Westwood was one of the worst ones. Well, I heard this story of the Valley Stream where the the mall owner <laughs> saw all these black kids walking through Shut the it mall. down. Yeah. Shut <laughs> it down. <laughs> and followed them and, and and to the theater and went to the theater people and said, you got to shut this down. <laughs> Was, so 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 Crush Groove was a success huge, theatrically huge and and so and what was the I mean it's been 30 years and it's still on HBO every so often I click it on it's it's on HBO or or one of the other networks it's 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 it seems like it's always playing <laughs> Okay. All right. We're saying goodbye to Doug McHenry. All right. And uh, yeah. Okay. And and wrapping it up. Um, where are you going, Doug? I'm going to San Francisco. Okay. All right. <laughs> when are you back? About two weeks. Okay. We're gonna have you back on, man. Meeting before I will come back. Okay. Okay. Hey, Doug, we're having you back on, all right? All right, guys. All right. We can talk about the economics of the Oh, the economics of Crush Crew. Larry, you got to call me up so we can go to lunch and I can hear about... Okay. Okay, I want to hear. Take care. Likewise. Take care. Bye. Nice to meet you. All right. So, oh. What time is it? Well, we're wrapping up, so we're going to cut you guys loose. Because I got to park it. Because we talk way too long. Yeah, we have way too many stories. Y'all gonna need a couple shows for us. So I guess we'll edit that right when they leave. <laughs> <laughs> Mason's like Brandon will edit that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, so um, yes, so Crush Groove has been around. Um, it came out in theaters. You know, people came out in droves. There were riots. Uh, <laughs> obviously, it was it was the first hip hop film in the mainstream lexicon. It's been on cable throughout recent memory every time, every once or twice a year, without a doubt, I'll get a text or get notified on Twitter. You know, Crush Groove is on, turn it on. And so what now do you see as the future of Crush Groove being that it is a time where Straight Outta Compton, you know, has become the number one music biopic of all time and there's this interest in the genesis of hip-hop culture and the early days of hip-hop culture where, where do you all see crush Groove? well i mean there's an opportunity to certainly to uh, uh do another movie i would personally i was kind of thinking about it. i i i looked at my notes i had 
from about like eight years ago when we talked about it before I had Crush Groove, the remix. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, hey, that's kind of cool. I may, maybe we can go back and and remake it and and uh, um, bring some different insight into it, mm-hmm. uh, 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 possibly. But I, um, it's certainly something we need to be discussing. Warner Brothers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We also um, have batted the idea of doing a Broadway musical. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems and, good. Yeah, and it would be hot. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I I watched that movie, and all I could think about was like Chicago or Glee or just how I didn't realize what a musical it was. Mm. Yeah. And it would be perfect for that. Ha- have you had any discussions about that? Uh, Ralph and I about three years ago started talking about it and then then we got busy and went our separate ways doing what we do yeah uh but uh we're, we're gonna jump all over it yeah it certainly could live uh certainly could live in that space you know one of the great things about working with curtis blow was a number of the songs uh i just wrote titles like all you could eat in the script and he he created these songs to mm. go go along with it right and it was is um, that the sabaro scene yeah yeah yeah, yeah the sabaro scene is like where they, eat so much food they eat the 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 poster the food disappears from the poster. I noticed that. <laughs> did you write that in there yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and we didn't do that digitally that was all analog yeah. <laughs> he just shot that about a hundred times they would take another piece out yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. you know but it it, it certainly Seems like we could redo the film, do a, a, a another version, to ref, ref, refresh our vision on it. Uh, a Broadway production. We're also in discussions of, about pitching a TV series, also. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, Fantastic. Yeah, it's so. it's a very it's a very you know what it's a very special time. We uh, uh, we got to meet a lot of the people who created this art form, mm-hmm. and certainly the initial people. The you know what attracted us to these particular groups because they were the first ones with gold records right and that was the that, that was what that uh, wall street journal article was about so these guys are they're the they're the first you know mm-hmm. and um it was the whole entrepreneurial spirit you know of kids off the street you know creating music without instruments because that was the big thing back then there was no horns there was no drums you know it was the scratching of the record and the rap you know just drums yeah no no melody well when you talk to buffy i interviewed buffy as part of my research and he said i said how how did you come up my beatbox how how did you do that he says you know i wanted some drums when i was a kid and you know um Mm -hmm. my mom couldn't afford them so i just imitated the sound mm-hmm. and, and wow. he and if you ever listen to him do the beatbox it's the most powerful he, he's crazy he was right. he was like a, a unique one of a kind no one has ever been able to do it like he he did right yeah and but that that speaks to that uh inventiveness of the whole music form the mm-hmm. whole thing you know what michael is like seeing something appear we we just had never heard it or seen it before and it was it's a once in a lifetime experience right yeah, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I mean, it's amazing. And that is what they talk about. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of KRS-One, and he talks about, you know, how hip-hop was created and how it was kids who didn't have something. They made something out of nothing. They did. You know, they took what they had, whatever it was, 
and and made it into what we have here. And you guys clearly were on the cutting edge of that. I mean, that is, I, I want to thank you guys for not only being here, but for making that movie. I mean, it, it, it impacted so many people. Mm -hmm. And validated an, an entire art form. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember I was listening to the Fat Boys and Houdini, which is a question. I wondered why the Houdini wasn't even in the movie. Well, Bro, I'll tell you that story. <laughs> tell the story. If you want to go back. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, listen, They man. were supposed to be in the movie. <laughs> we wanted them in the movie because they were a big act. We you had know. a huge sequence uh, uh, built out for uh, Freaks yeah. Come Out at Night. You yeah. know? Uh, but the, uh, one, the one thing is rappers are night people, right? And movie people are morning people. You, you get up early in the morning. And so we knew going in, it was going to be a, a job trying to get these guys who are used to going to bed at four to come to the set at four. You know, and start the day. Michael's giving you the PG version. <laughs> after, I'll tell you after we get off. The all right, all right. <laughs> you're, you're, that means you're coming back. You can tell us we're on the X-rated day. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we'll leave something for the audience. But um, but if you tap into CrushGrooveMovie.com, uh, you will be uh, your your listeners will be kept up to date on the new happenings with uh, we're we're rebranding and uh breathing fresh air into uh this 30 year old title yeah great all right so that's crushgroovemovie.com mm -hmm. any other uh any other thing is that is there a facebook page is there a twitter handle is there that yet or we just go into the website we're going to the website the other stuff is coming okay Okay, because I'm ready. I'm ready for it. I mean, I'm telling you, I did. I watched it two nights ago, and man, I just love it. I, I love seeing it's the fun. Fat it's, Boys it's doing fun, their thing, yeah. Run DMC, that LL Cool J scene, New Edition even had me at that moment. I mean, they, I mean, those were the biggest acts. And you think about New Edition, and you know, you talk about Straight Outta Compton and all the things that flowed out of the NWA family, mm -hmm. but you talk about Crush Groove. And everything that flowed out of there, right. ridiculous. I mean, we're talking Andre Harrell. Oh, yeah. I mean, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's yep. ridiculous. We yeah. could go over the list of people yeah. in the film and just mm -hmm. gush over what they've contributed to hip hop culture. So, Donnie Simmons. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> the host of the what BT yeah. and uh, man, one of the biggest radio DJs radio DJ. ever. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was a lot. There was a lot in that movie, a lot. Was it Donnie Simpson? I'm sorry. Did I, say, <laughs> did I say Donnie? I said Donnie Simpson. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you, I, I have a lisp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we've been we, we've been talking about Russell Simmons, Simpson all the time. <laughs> so to be continued. Yes. Crush Groove Pod. Thank you, Ralph. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Dad. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Brandon. Thanks thank for you. showing up. Thank you, Doug. Yeah. Thank you, Doug. Yep. This is Adam with Brandon. Thank B. You. Schultz. We're hanging out on some hip-hop shit. Meltdown Comics. This has been the Crush Groove Focus piece. And I got to tell you, I really thank you gentlemen for joining us tonight and hope you come back 
and we could get into the X-rated version of some of these stories because I got to hear this Houdini story, man. Oh, boy. The freaks, I guess, came out at night and didn't go back. (laughs) All right. On some hip-hop shit, Meltdown Comics and Collectibles. See you next week. Keep it funky. This episode of On Some Hip Hop Shit was produced by Brandon Schultz and Adam Silverstein, engineered by Mason Booker, and recorded at the Meltcast Podcast Studios, Hollywood, California. They got street legends. Our theme was produced by King Smo of the Animal Crackers, and a special thanks to Francisco, Gaston, Mark, and Mike Davis. Artwork by Self Uno. Tweet to us at our brand new handle at on some hip hop shit. And that is what's up. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.